Hi, I'm Father Daniel Duplantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the Church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast. guys, welcome back to a season three of A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have a special guest with me today, Father David Michael Moses, and we're going to be discussing his journey into the priesthood, the priesthood itself, what you should do if you're discerning to become a priest, and a bunch of other stuff. Welcome, Father um, Father David Michael. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Been looking forward to this. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm I'm really looking forward to this topic. I think this will help a lot of people because in general, I think the priesthood really needs to um, kind of get on social media a little bit more and kind of entice the young people. Maybe the young people just don't know about it, though. But um, before we jump into all that, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, I'm Father David Michael Moses. I go by Father David Michael, and I'm a priest here in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, been a priest about three and a half years. I'm 29 now, and I'm in my second assignment as a priest. I'm the parochial vicar, which is kind of a fancy way of saying the, the assistant priest at a parish in North Houston, and absolutely love it. That's fantastic. So, Father, I wanted to have you on as a guest because you're a fairly unique priest from what I've seen. You know, I did a little bit of research and stuff. You're good with the young people. You play music um, and you have this light in Christ in you that is just really contagious. So I guess we could just kind of start taking a trip down memory lane. What was uh, your childhood like? What what's what's your background? Yes, I grew up here in Houston. Uh, I was the fifth of six kids, um, big Catholic family. My parents were converts to the faith, actually. My mom and dad converted with both of my dad's siblings and their spouses. All six of them came in the church wow. at the same time. So I'm really thankful they were able to pass on that, that faith to me. And um, especially for me, altar serving growing up was, was huge. Just for me being close to the sacrifice, the Eucharist and the mass, I really felt like it was the most important thing you know, I, I, I did each week. You know, I tell people with altar serving, you know, it's you don't have to have to have a server for mass. The, the priest can set up the book on his own. But if he gives the book to the server and he's got it in his pew and the priest says, let us pray, you know, suddenly, you know, as a 12-year-old boy, this entire congregation needs me to carry the book forward, right? I'm needed in some way. And I think that's actually very healthy for a young man to become a necessary part, you know, of the mass. And I really felt that internalized that and was really grateful, grateful for it. That's fantastic. I know, you know, being an altar boy, it really helps young men discern whether or not they want to go into the priesthood. It kind of gives them that precursor to really discern at a very early age. I know at my church, um, we have like a lot of little, little baby altar boys and it's so cute because they come (laughs) running out. I think the youngest is probably seven, maybe eight. And I'm not sure if there's really an age limit at all, but you know, it's just so cute watching them walk out with their little candle holders and, you know, they're making the way they're a part of something. They feel like they have purpose and they're wanted. And like you said, that's really important for the men. Um, so I think that's wonderful. What, at what point did you, uh, feel you were being called to the priesthood? So even though I was an altar, I didn't think a lot about priesthood. I would hear them pray for vocations at mass. 
uh, you know, increase in vocation of the priesthood. And I'd kind of think, well, I hope somebody steps up, you know, it sounds like they really need people for that. Um, but I really, even from a very young age, really wanted to get married. You know, I, I really wanted to have a wife, have kids. So it really wasn't until I went on a silent retreat when I was 16, that just praying in the silence, I really felt the Lord saying, hey, it might be you. It might be you I'm calling. And at one point during the retreat, the priest had said, um, he just said this to the group. He didn't know I was discerning or anything. He just said, you should choose the vocation that will make you a saint. And that really hit me like, oh, well, that's priesthood. And then I was like, wait, why, why do I think that? You know. <laughs> um, so I was talking to the priest on the retreat and I said, hey, I'm kind of feeling drawn to the priesthood, but I really like girls and I really want to get married. And he said, hey, that's normal. That's totally fine. Um, but God still might be calling you and, and you need to take that, take that seriously. So I started going to daily mass every day after that. Um, at one point in the retreat, the priest had said, objectively speaking, going to mass was the most pleasing thing we could do for God. Um, and I didn't really understand why that was at the time. I now know as a priest that, you know, <laughs> the mass is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in obedience to the father. And that was the most pleasing thing that's ever happened in human history was the sacrifice of Christ to the father. So the fact that at mass, we participate in that sacrifice makes that the supremely, uh, the supremely pleasing action to God, the father. And so for me going to that mass every day, became a huge part of my life, going to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, praying the rosary every day. And over time, just really fell in love with how a priest could help people. You know, I wanted to help people and I thought, what more could I do for somebody than literally give them Jesus in the Eucharist and literally forgive their sins in the person of Christ in confession? That's, um, so that's when I really started to, started to feel that call at the beginning. That's amazing. And I know you said that you really liked girls and things like that. I'm not sure if you were in a relationship at the time or not, but how did you handle that as kind of like um, deciding like, oh, okay, like I can't date because I'm going to be a priest because there's no point in dating if you know you're supposed to be a priest. How did you navigate that as a young, a young man? Yeah. So at the same time, I was kind of, you know, going through the silent retreat. I had dated this one girl in the youth group for about a month. And then she, true story, she actually broke up with me and that weekend was going on dates with one of my best friends. Oh, my, uh, my line is like, I, I guess she was more into ugly guys, you know, I guess like, <laughs> everybody has their own style. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but then again, funny enough, while we, we were dating and it was just a month. I, uh, I met her cousin and her cousin was super cool. And so I actually dated her cousin for about a year. Um, I was 16, I think, you know, and it's a high school relationship, you know, whatever that means. But, um, I was, I was grateful because it was, um, it was a very good thing. It was pure. Mm -hmm. We went to daily mass together a ton. Um, and she was a great girl and, and I was thankful, you know, for that. But the whole time I really felt the Lord saying like, you know, I, I want something else for you. That there was a, a part there that didn't seem like it was going to be satisfied in that way. And so once that became clear for me, I recognized like, okay, this is not, um, this is not fruitful anymore, you know? And so I remember having to talk with her and um, tell her, I felt like the Lord was calling me to something else. And that was hard. You know, she was crying. I remember sitting in the front yard of my parents' house, you know, and I think we were 17 and telling her that. And um, and yet that was a, a beautiful moment in terms of, um, you know, I certainly felt bad for her, right? And, um, but I felt like I should be honest with her, right? About where I was, you know, in the journey, of course, um, and, and to recognize at that point, like, Hey, following Jesus means you, you have to give up things sometimes, you know, that's what it means to be a disciple. And so we stayed good friends after that. And I'm very mm -hmm. thankful, but, um, 
that was, you know, a moment of sacrifice for sure. And, and continued sacrifice after that celibacy. I mean, for young guys discerning celibacy is the thing, I think in most cases, everything else about priesthood sounds okay. You know, like <laughs> people call you father, you wear a collar, you know, you say mass for people, but to give up what you wanted most probably out of life um, is, is really difficult. And so um, that was kind of the beginning of that as a teenager. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially in a world that kind of pushes so much sexual stuff in our faces, you know, and things it's, it's really hard for, um, any man or any woman now actually to not have been exposed to pornography or something sexual at some point in life. It's just become a part of our culture, which is very sad. Um, and so I can definitely see how that'd be one of the biggest things. And for a lot of men, I guess, I guess in a way, like they feel the most fulfilled, like they feel like they should be the most fulfilled by having a family. Um, I don't know how many families really invest in their, you know, sons becoming priests one day. There's a lot of people in my neighborhood um, that go to church and things. And there's some kids that I've taught, you know, that I've taught, uh, you know, religious ed to and stuff. And the boys, like some of these boys would be amazing priests one day, but their parents don't cultivate it. Did your parents cultivate your priesthood at all? Or was that some kind of like on your own or how did that come about? Yeah. So for me, um, because my parents were very strong Catholics, I thought when I told them I wanted to be a priest, they would be like, awesome. Sounds good. You know, <laughs> so it, was, it was interesting. Their response, my mom, you know, she was very thoughtful and she kind of said, well, I hope you can be happy, you know, being celibate, not getting married. I hope you can be happy. <laughs> and then my dad said, um, I told him and he kind of paused and he said, well, I, I always wanted a son who was a priest, but I didn't want it to be you. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what does that mean? And honestly, it wasn't until way later, years later, I asked him like, hey, what did you mean by that? And I really appreciate his response. He said, hey, I wanted you to know in that moment that I was very supportive of having a son who was a priest, but I wanted you to know it didn't have to be you. Mm. that of course I was I would love to have a son who was a priest but I didn't want you to have the pressure of feeling like that was on your shoulders you know and I I mean I just love that because like the only way a vocation has value any vocation is if it's if it's done freely right mm. if, I get, if it's given freely and so as my father he wanted me to know that uh, he was supportive he was encouraging but he wasn't pressuring of that and that was kind of his way of of showing that and I really felt that for my parents the whole way through seminary and now that they were very encouraging, very supportive, but never pressuring. And it's easy for parents to kind of get caught in one of those. So like you're talking about, you know, families where they're not necessarily cultivating it. Um, I think part of that, frankly, is because um, families aren't as big as they used to be, right? Like right. if you've got 11 kids and five sons, you know, okay, <laughs> one of them can be a priest. That's okay. But if you have two kids and one son, that's, that's different, right? That becomes uh, different psychologically for the parents. So I think it is worth helping parents understand just the incredible impact their son will have if the mm -hmm. Lord calls him to be a priest. That's um, so true. And I've never thought of it from that perspective of how, you know, families have kind of dwindled in numbers nowadays. And also divorce rates, people say are going down, but the divorce rates aren't going down because of like, nobody's getting divorces. Nobody's getting married. Yeah. You know, that's the reason. And so it's kind of sad. We don't have families the way that we used to. We don't have community the way we used to where, you know, at my, um, 
very traditional Latin mass parish in Chicago, it's really funny because they do have large families and, and they do have, um, you know, it's kind of funny if one kid is like running around and I'll be like, whose child is this? Like three moms raise their hands. They're like, oh, that's so-and-so's son. Like, I know who's, whose kid that is. <laughs> that's great. It's just so funny. But then I go to more like a church near me, you know, that's probably closer to my house. And it's like, you know, two parent or two kid families or three kid families, which are still a blessing nonetheless, but there's definitely a difference between community. You know, even if one family at my traditional Latin mass parish has only two kids or whatever, everybody still helps with that kid, you know, like everybody kind of pitches in, but I think it has to do with like community and like differences in maybe, um, I guess, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what actually cultivates it, but they definitely could have that at the other parish. It's just something I kind of noticed is a little bit different, but um, were there any mentors or anyone that you looked up to or who inspired you to become a priest? Yeah. So I was very blessed. Uh, my family knew, you know, several young priests growing up and uh, I think, I, you know, one of the best qualities they had is they were just very relatable, easy to talk with, you know, which I think Jesus must've been very relatable. You know, Jesus is the high priest, right? But you can tell in scripture, he just gets along with people. He connects with people, you know, and they connect with him. And I think that was a really beautiful priestly quality that was shown to me. Um, you know, there's a balance here. Priests are set aside in a very real way. Priests are not just like everybody else. Like we have been conformed to Christ in a, in a dramatic way and set aside for something to offer sacrifice for the sacraments and everything. Um, and yet Jesus, even though he was set aside as God, he was with the people, you know, and so I really appreciated that kind of, you know, we had priests who were incredibly reverent, incredibly devout. Um, and then we go play lacrosse or soccer and, and <laughs> they run out there with us, you know, and they take off the cassock and they'd, they'd be running around with us. And um, so I was very thankful to, to have that, have that growing up um, because that was a huge encouragement for me and my discernment. And I think that's really important to remember that we are not just Catholics inside the church. You know, priests are priests while they're saying mass, but also while they're gardening or playing lacrosse or doing something else. And I think it's important to remember that we can be Catholics in the world, not just in church. I think a lot of times people view it as, oh, I can be freely Catholic in the church or in Catholic settings, but once I'm in the world and in a society setting and cultural setting, I have to suddenly like contain my Catholicness. And it's like, I love priests like that because I've, I've known quite a few priests like that, that play wiffle ball and like, they'll play hockey with the kids and just have fun with them. And I can definitely see the difference between, you know, um, priests who are really involved with the youth and, and the youth know that, and they just love hanging out with them versus some priests who just don't, it's just not their thing or something, but the kids are really like, just enticed by that it's very interesting to see how much they really do love that that's yeah well it's interesting you mention that because you know sometimes as catholics we're really catholic in the church and then like we kind of let it let it relax a little bit outside the church when you could argue it like it should be just the opposite right mm -hmm. in the church you don't need to be as catholic you know every, everybody's catholic right like <laughs> when you really need it is when you go out you know and so i i do love as a priest getting out you know people seeing me in my collar being out in public i think so often they're the ones who need it the most when you go out, you know, um, whether it's sports or, or whatever it is. 
And I'm sure they love seeing you guys out and about because I think it's kind of a rare thing to see a priest in a cassock, you know, out and about nowadays, you know, we used to be so used to that back in the day before social media and everything and stuff. But now it's like, you see a priest wearing cassock in like a grocery store or something. And you're like, I need to talk to this man. You know? <laughs> yeah, there was one time I was in a smoothie place and I was wearing a cassock. And, um, so, you know, it, it kind of covers your feet. Right. Yeah. And, uh, this guy comes in behind me and he's like, are you a priest? And I was like, yeah, I am. And I followed him, Michael. And he said, dude, this is so crazy. I, uh, I work at the gym next door, but I was looking out the window. I saw you get out of your car and you were just floating along in the parking lot, you know, because of the Kazakh, right? Yeah. You know, he was like, you were just floating along, man. And he was like, I just had to come meet a priest. And oh my was, gosh. So funny. And so I just love those, those moments, you know, you get to connect with people that you wouldn't otherwise. That's awesome. No, I love that. And speaking of your favorite moments, what's your favorite part about being a priest? So for me, I mean, of course, the sacraments, the Eucharist is the source and summit. Offering the mass um, is the high point. Um, I also have, just have a, a huge love for confession. I think um, the transforming moments you see in people's lives in confession is really hard to beat. Um, but on a personal level, just um, I just love being called father too, like day in and day out, people calling you father. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I was 25 and I was ordained, <laughs> showed up at this parish and all these people of all these ages were just calling me father, you know? And like, it, I, it's easy to like be, be numb to how like bizarre that is, you know, like right. everybody calls me father. Um, and they don't even really know me yet, but because they've known priests that they've loved who have served them um, and I'm a priest, then okay you're my spiritual father, you know, and it's really a love for Jesus and a love for the church that they welcome you in and, and they hold you in that kind of esteem. Um, and so it's like really humbling and moving to even now for people, when people say father, you know, I mean, it's, it's beautiful um, to get to, to have that kind of relationship. You know, most people, when they graduate with advanced degrees, um, you call them doctor, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Ours is not like a reference to our degree. It's a reference to the relationship. Hmm. They don't call me doctor or, or, or <laughs> whatever it is. They, they call me father, you know, right. and that familiar relationship is kind of the heart of the priesthood. No, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I've never really viewed it in that way before because, you know, I was that like, ah, priest, you know, next up is like cardinal or bishop or this or that. And then after that, it's like pope maybe. <laughs> Right. And so it, it kind of changed the dynamic, right? Whereas like the foundation of it really is a, a spiritual fatherhood, right? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. No, that's awesome. I think that's just so cool how, um, you know, the inside perspective from a priest and like experiencing those things is really neat. And as we kind of go into our second topic, which is more about the priesthood and like information about it, I know kind of it depends on diocese and things of that nature, but do you think there's been a decline in religious orders? And if so, do you know why that might be? Well, I think it seems as though, I don't have like the statistics in front of me, but it seems like um, 70s, 80s, 90s, there was a real decrease um, mm -hmm. in religious life for men and women, um, vocations, the Dawson priesthood. Um, so I think, yeah, across the board, we've, we've seen that. Religious orders are an interesting, an interesting case because I, I do think, in some cases, they, they're a response in many ways to a need, an expression of the Holy Spirit through a charism that can sometimes just be needed for a time, right? So oh. I'm not sure if it's necessarily, I don't want to offend anybody, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's um, necessary that every religious community like endure indefinitely, 
right? Mm, yeah. I think it kind of can comes in waves as many movements in the church, right? It's a response to a need at certain times. Um, so uh, I have a great love for religious life because it is the highest form of life. As a Dawson priest, I'm very active. It's not as perfect. It's not as perfect. I don't give I have as much time for prayers as, as those guys do. Um, I definitely thought a lot about religious life. Um, but ultimately, Doss and priesthood for me was, um, you know, being on the front lines day in and out, day in and day out of weddings and baptisms and, and <laughs> confessions. And so I just really love that. Um, but I'm so thankful we're able to kind of hit people from all the different angles with the religious communities as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't really even think about like it, you know, we have certain religious communities for certain times, you know, and there's some basis communities that will probably continue going on, but there's some that, you know, kind of dwindle out after a while. Like, um, I know I just stayed with some Dominican sisters a few years ago and they're awesome. Like they're thriving or the Carmelites are thriving. The monks, uh, the Benedictine monks are thriving. Um, and it's just very interesting to kind of like, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to see how the times have changed and how, even though the foundations of our faith haven't changed, you know, the dogmas and everything, the way that we approach it has changed, you know, the way that we approach religious life and things. And it, it, the more that we get young people into religious life, the more that it also kind of progresses and we figure out different, different things. So that's interesting. Yeah. No. And I guess I should add to that in terms of what you're saying. I think I mean, some orders might, you know, fade out, but that means there's probably other orders that need to start. Exactly. Right. And so kind of to your point, um, a response to the need of these times, it may have been different than, than the need in the 15th century. And so maybe we need some new communities now, you know, um, right. that will maybe fade out someday, but will serve a real necessary purpose for the Holy Spirit now. Exactly. And it's interesting to me how people always think that it's not valid unless it was like before the 1920s or something. They're like, if it hasn't been around for a hundred years, it's not it. I'm like, okay, well, those communities started somewhere. Exactly. You know? It's like maybe a hundred years from now. Sure. Like our communities will be, you know, be like, oh, unless it's from like 2023, we're not doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is very interesting. No, that's really cool. Um, but I guess, I mean, I think a lot of times like priests and um you know when people think of a priest they think of men in like their 50s you know in religious life they think of nuns who are like in their 60s and they're old and they're just like you know they're reading their bibles and they're really strict and proper and they don't know how to have fun and things and i've met some really awesome young priests such as yourself but i've also you know met some you know less fun priests too but is being a priest boring are you ever bored with it yeah, so when I entered, um, I thought it might be. I didn't really know what it would be like, to be honest. I felt like this is what the Lord wanted. Um, and yet, as I've gone through seminary, I've realized that when the Lord calls you to any vocation, it's not because he wants to want, wants you to stop being who you are. It's, it's, it's because he wants you to become like who he made you to be, like your gifts, your personality. He wants those to not die out. I mean, he gave them to you. He wants them to flourish for the kingdom, like not for yourself, but for the kingdom. And, and whether that's married life or priesthood, religious life, whatever it is, like that's what the call is going to be. And there's going to be sacrifice there for sure. But in most cases, the Lord just wants to use everything that he's given you um, for something bigger than yourself. Um, so, and I, I think especially you mentioned, you know, being young, um, you know, God calls when he calls. Some people are called a little bit older. I know guys who've been married for a while and the Lord calls them to priesthood after maybe the wife passes away or something like that. 
Um, but I'm so thankful to be called young. You know, I, I did have people going in, you know, when you're 18, they think, oh, you could do this. You go to go to college later, you can go to law school, and then you could always come back to priesthood. And it's really like, man, when you give up some of your best years in the world, you get some pretty amazing years as a priest. And I'm so glad I didn't give up one year of priesthood to go do who knows what in the world, you know, like I'm so thankful I've had this time and, uh, and I look forward to growing, growing old as a priest. Um, but ultimately all, all that to say, like <laughs> being a priest is anything but boring. I mean, I'm shocked by the kind of environments and moments I get called into. Yesterday, I had the 7 a.m. mass, 9 a.m. mass. Then I drove to our, our neighboring diocese. They were having a youth conference. I gave a talk there, um, played some music for the kids, um, drove back late last night, woke up this morning, had an emergency anointing call, said the mass, got another anointing call, um, went worked out. Now I'm, I'm doing this with you. You know, you can just tell the last 24 hours, it's like, what a life, you know, and, and today at the hospital, um, before mass, um, there's a guy and his, his mom is very elderly, one of our parishioners who's, who's dying. And we prayed this really beautiful litany of the saints. And instead of saying, pray for us in, in the right for those dying, we, we say, pray for, pray for them or pray for her. And you could tell the family was just so moved thinking of like Abraham and David and Peter and Paul and St. Therese, all in this moment, praying for their mom with them. And, and for me as a priest to get to lead them in that is just, it's, it's otherworldly, you know, it is anything but boring. So I am just so grateful every day to get to be a priest. And that's amazing. And also it's, it's exciting too, because you never know what you're going to get into the next day. Yep. Not like a strict yeah, it's schedule. An adventure. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of scary sometimes. It's like you wake up and you're like, Jesus, what do you have planned? You know, <laughs> I feel like that some days and I'm not, I'm not a pre, I'm like, what am I doing? That's just being a Christian, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Have you ever like traveled anywhere or gone out of the country for anything specific? Or is that, is that something you guys can do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're allowed to, if we're doing some kind of ministry thing, you need a letter of suitability. Mm. Um, obviously with COVID haven't been doing a lot, a lot of stuff outside the country before kind of getting into that more. Um, but a big thing comes to mind is right before I entered seminary, I went to the Holy land, took a pilgrimage oh, there. And that was just really, really moving, obviously to get to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and really solidified. I think my call to call to the priesthood. Wow. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Did you guys go with like a group or was it just with your seminary or? No, it was with a group, the Knights and Ladies of the Holy Sepulchre. They do a lot of support for, for people, for Christians in the Holy Land, trying to keep that Christian presence in the place where Christianity started. That's so important, honestly, especially with everything going on. And Christianity is seriously un under attack. I I mean, it's under, we think it's under attack in the United States, but in different countries, like we have absolutely no clue, you know? I know, it's, it's so true. Like you feel in the United States sometimes, but really overall, the U.S. is a good place to be a Christian. <laughs> You know, all things considered, there are some places where, yeah, you're risking your life. Exactly. So, yeah, it's very important to keep it going in different countries as well. Um, I know there's definitely a few people listening who are discerning to be a priest. Um, where should someone start if they do feel called to be a priest? Yeah. Um, well, one, it's awesome that they're just open to it. I think everybody, unless you're married, you should be open to <laughs> for God's will is for you. Um, I, I like to use a three P's like come up with prayer, people, and peace. Hmm. So you want to start with prayer. You want to sit down in adoration chapel in your room, 
have some silence to at least quiet the voices around you so you can hear God's voice a little bit better. That's a really good place to start with some prayer. And then people, like go talk to someone who you trust. Um, mom, dad, it's a good place to start, a good friend. Um, go talk to your priest. Go talk to a sister that you know. Um, talk to somebody who's who's kind of been there and been through it. And they'll help you kind of sort out the prayer a little bit. We A lot of times we look to prayer for answers all the time. Mm-hmm. But really, prayer is more about building a relationship. And, and I think um, we sometimes get very clear answers in prayer, but a lot of times what we're doing is disposing ourselves to receive the answers that the Lord wants to give us, which often are going to come through, you know, good guidance with people that we trust. So prayer, people, and then peace. Um, peace is, is what we're looking for in just about everything in terms of decision-making. And peace, you know, is not feeling really happy. Peace is everything being as it should be. Mm-hmm. everything being in its proper place it's everything being well ordered and so sometimes doing god's will can be very difficult but it should always be peaceful because we recognize like no this is this is right you know um so prayer people peace i think is a really really good um really good place to start um and then along with uh, i think the people thing in terms of looking wisdom outside of yourself um get good i had a sister tell me this once good discernment is based on good data so you need to give God something to work with, whether that's like start reading a book about discernment to save a thousand souls is the classic one. Um, discernment of spirits by Timothy Gallagher. Um, start reading, give God some data for him to kind of work with um, or do something. Go. Um, Father Mike says, um, maybe you've heard of him. Father Mike Smith. No, yeah, okay. maybe. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> <Okay>. familiar. <laughs> you might have, might've heard of him. Uh, he's got a great line where he says, you know, often clarity follows action, right? Uh, so go on. You, you, you mentioned that you'd gone to see some sisters a while back, go stay with the community for a weekend, call your vocation director, do something and then see how you don't do anything crazy, you know, but do take some kind of action, some kind of step. And then see what the Lord is doing kind of in terms of that peace dynamic in your heart afterwards. And I think if you cycle through those things enough, um, you're going to get a lot more information in the right direction. That's wonderful. It kind of reminds me of that quote from, I believe it was St. Ignatius of Loyola, where he's like, pray or work as though everything depends on you, but pray as though everything depends on God or something. Yeah. Something like that. There was like that quote. I forget who's, but no, yeah. exactly. That's it. I think it okay, might have that been is it. Up, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So you want to pray really, really hard um, as if it all depends on God, because ultimately it really does. Um, <laughs> but work, grace builds on nature, right? You know, right. God will give you grace usually um, in proportion to you doing something he, he wants. Um, even like the, uh, maybe kind of a, a side note, the, I was reading that, that gospel passage where the man has the withered hand, right? Yeah. And 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 Jesus, um, you know, he asked to be healed. And Jesus says, well, stick out your hand. And then when you kind of read that, you think like, Jesus is withered, you know, like he, he can't do much with his hand. Like it almost seems embarrassing that the poor guy is having to stick out as best as he can, his withered hand, you know. Um, but and did Jesus need him to stick it out? No. What Jesus was doing was he was saying, okay, I'm going to heal you, but I want you to be part of this in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, do something, put some skin in the game, stretch out your hand, do something and I'll bless it and heal you and make it something beautiful. Um, right. But but invest in it in some way. And that's all that man could do was just stick out his wither hand a little bit, but it was an investment that the Lord was able to bless. And I think for us with anything, you know, in, in regards to God and the spiritual life, but especially in discernment, 
do something, stick yourself out there a little bit um, so that God can build on that and really turn it into something beautiful. So true. You know, it kind of, <laughs> I just thought of this because I, I get a lot of DMs and stuff, you know, in, in my social media and a lot of emails. And one of the most common one I get from the guys is my girlfriend broke up with me. I'm going to become a priest. And I'm like, what would you say to guys who are only discerning priesthood because they're a little bit hurt? <laughs> well, first of all, you go with, you, know, you mentioned St. Ignatius. Um, don't, don't make a big decision in a time of desolation, right? <laughs> That's not a good place to be in terms of discernment. Um, but on even a more serious note, you know, John Paul II says that if you choose celibacy, you shouldn't just choose um, like, okay, you shouldn't be thinking, oh, I, I would have had a bad marriage and I would have been unhappy, so I'm going to be celibate. He says, what you should be giving up in celibacy is the ideal. Mm. You should be giving up the ideal marriage, you know, for, for a young man with the ideal woman who was holy and pious and beautiful and devoted. And she would have been a great wife and a great mom. But instead of that, you chose to give it up to follow Jesus. Mm. You need to give, give up the ideal for what? For the sake of the kingdom. Because that's the only way it has value. People kind of miss this with celibacy. You know, you mentioned our culture is so so sexualized right now. The celibate person is not saying like, well, ditch all that. All that's really, really bad. The celibate person saying, gosh, a beautiful marriage is so good. This is how much I love God. That I'm willing to give that up for him really makes very, very clear where, where the priorities are. Um, and not everybody is called to that sacrifice, but at least some are called to be a sign of the kingdom for others. So um, for a young man, <laughs> don't don't pursue priesthood or a young woman pursuing religious life because, you know, dating sounds miserable because marriage sounds bad and you have a broken heart. I mean, I prayers to those people. I hope they heal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if Lord's calling to it, you should be giving up how awesome it would have been. That's, right. the, that's the beauty of the sacrifice. No, that's a wonderful perspective. I think it's important to remember that it's not either or, it's like giving up one or the other, you know, completely. Not being like, oh, if this falls through, then I'm going to become a priest. You know, it's it's actually putting the ideal in your mind and then realizing like, I love God more than this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Um, as we wrap up here, I guess the last question I really just have is, uh, what are some things you wish you would have known before becoming a priest? Yeah, I think I wish I would have known um, how honestly, like how beautiful it was going to be. Like, I, I mean, I, honestly, Amber, in some ways, like I'm shocked I even became a priest because I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> like, it's all I was a young guy. Yeah, exactly. I was a young guy. I was 16. I went on a silent retreat and felt this really mysterious, like, call to something. Um, and I'll say this, like, I, I, I knew a lot of good priests. I didn't know a lot of, like, young priests necessarily. So I wasn't really sure what that would even look like going into seminary. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't have an image of that. But I felt like this is what the Lord wanted. And seminary was definitely difficult, you know, trying to figure out if this is really what God wanted is kind of, especially discerning celibacy was, was stressful. Um, but ultimately, like, it did not take very long after I was ordained to realize 
Like this is an incredible way to live your life. I mean, the, the heart of the priesthood ultimately is like, I am so close to Jesus Christ through my ordination that when I say it, you know, I absolve you from your sins or this is my body. When I say it, he does it every single time because he, he promised. Like right. we're so close. I speak for him now. I have, I have the authority of Jesus Christ on earth. I mean, it's insane. And the way that plays out in the confessional, in the Eucharist, in the anointings I had today. I mean, there are so many moments where I'm like, I can't believe this exists. Like who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> it's seriously to give this much power to a 25 year old. <laughs> but, but Jesus does it because he wants to be present to his people. And that's what the right. priesthood is. Like it's his ministry. And I heard a priest say when I was in seminary, he said, if I had a thousand lives, I would live everyone as a Catholic priest. Mm. I remember reading that and being like, well, that's a nice thought, but like, <laughs> okay, you wouldn't want to live just one married. You know what I mean? Like if you had a thousand lives, like you don't want to do 999 of them, you know, <laughs> as a priest and maybe one life married. And then I, I've experienced what it is. And, you know, obviously this is my call. So not everybody's going to feel this, but for me, I think if I lived 999 lives as a priest and I had one more life to go, I think I would think like, let's be a priest again. You know? <laughs> like, let's run it back, you know, because of, of just the beauty of this ministry. So I wish somebody had told me how extraordinary this was, how insane it is that this even exists. And I think one of the saddest things about our, our culture right now is the devil has invented an entire generation of young guys. So this is not a great way to spend your life. When really the reason he's doing that is because he's terrified guys will see how beautiful it is. It's so true. And I think there's definitely a need for young priests in the priesthood, not because, you know, it's dying out or anything like that, but because they bring so much life to the church. And I think there's so many men who probably don't even know the priesthood exists that are craving it you know, are actually yearning for something like it, but they don't know it exists. And um, having young priests in uh, the culture and out in the world and stuff, just like you said, with the guy in the smoothie, like he probably wouldn't have done that if it was any other guy. Right. So it's like drawing people in. And I think that's just, that's absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much, you know, for joining me today and sharing your story and the information on the priesthood. Um, I'm sure many people will find it helpful for themselves or someone they know. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking about these things and, and want to be of help to, to young people discerning out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sure it was a huge help for everyone and including myself. Like I learned new stuff too. That's why I love having guests. Cause I'm like, wow, I didn't think about that. <laughs> um, but do you have any resources where my listeners could learn more about you or the priesthood or just anything like that? Yeah. So with priesthood, as I mentioned to save a thousand souls, it's a little bit older now as a book, but it just has so many good resources on every aspect of discerning diocese and priesthood. So to save a thousand souls is really great um, for that. Um, and then in term, terms of, um, finding anything out about me, um, you can just search my name on Instagram, um, Facebook, YouTube, um, all the kind of standard stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Father David Michael for coming on and talking with us. I really appreciated it. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. Awesome. And with all that being said, guys, I hope you enjoyed this session of a Catholic's perspective and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with me, The Religious Hippie. Make sure to visit my official website at thereligioushippie.com, and while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date with my latest news and offerings. You can also find me on virtually any social media site as The Religious Hippie. Thanks for listening! A quest is a search for something. And every week, the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and Anthony Smith and is distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure and visit the official website for Metacortex Publishing at metacortexpublishing.com or find us on social media for other unique content.